Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, as we near our 150th anniversary celebration on July 23rd, as a congregation, we're working our way through this 150-year-old mission statement of our congregation that has existed in our church constitution for 150 years. Uh, we're doing this again uh, because even though people change, this church changes, uh, it changes hands, it changes leadership, the mission of God doesn't change. And what we're doing here has remained the same and will remain the same moving forward. And so we're taking this one phrase at a time, but as we begin, let me read it for you in its entirety. It goes like this. The purpose of this congregation shall be to give honor and glory to God, to carry out His will, to assist in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world, to manifest the unity of our faith in Jesus Christ as God and Savior, to foster Christian fellowship and love, to extend a helping hand in human need, and to achieve our objectives by the preaching of the Word of God, by the administration of the sacraments, by the religious instruction of all its members, according to the confessional standards of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. So today we're going to focus on this phrase, we, we exist to extend a helping hand in human need. Extend a helping hand in human need. As we begin today, I'm going to make a sweeping assumption about all of you. Now this can be a dangerous thing to do because you all come from various backgrounds and have different personalities and all that stuff. But I think there's something that I could say across the board about all of you. And it is this. I would imagine that all of you uh, have it as a value to extend a helping hand to people when they have a need. Right? You, you value uh, extending loving care to people in your lives when they have a need. Right? So that's my sweeping assumption. Now whether or not we follow through on that um, uh, all the time, that's a, that's a different story. But let's just, let's just presume that all of us have that as a value, okay? That, that we desire to extend a helping hand to people when there's a real need. My question, though, is why? Simple question, why? Why would that be a value of yours? Why do you think it's important to extend a helping hand to other people when they have a need? You could probably answer it a couple of different ways. And let me ask you, do you, do you help other people out because you get something out of the deal? Like, like maybe you help people out uh, because it makes you feel good. Now, there is that probably give and take, right? If you do something nice for somebody, maybe you don't do it to feel good, but there is that immediate return where you go, that felt good to help people out. So do you do it for that reason? Or, or do you extend a helping hand um, to make the world a better place? Is that why you do it? Do you, do you help people out because, or do you choose people to help because you know that if you help this person, um, that there will be a ripple effect and that they then their life could be changed and they could help others who would help others who would help others and maybe you could change the world through that one simple act. Is that why you do it? Or do you extend a helping hand to others in human need simply because at that moment, your neighbor needs you to help? I would encourage, and what I'm going to encourage you today is to have that mindset of that last uh, statement. That we exist to help others in their time of need simply because they need it at that moment. 
It is your responsibility as a Christian person to help others when they're in their time of need simply because you are there and you can help. That's it. Today we read the familiar story of the so-called Good Samaritan. And we're going to dive into this again and actually reread the whole story. But as, as I introduce this, I don't know um, if, if you all know that, that the story of the Good Samaritan is not a, a true story. In that it, it's not a, a record of a historical event that happened. Um, now, Jesus actually did speak these words. But the story of the Good Samaritan is a parable. So Jesus is responding to a lawyer who is challenging him. And in, to give his answer, Jesus doesn't just give a straight answer. He tells this parable, this story of the Good Samaritan. So do you remember how the conversation went? We just, we just read it in the gospel, but let me, let me read it again for you. We're going to break it into two pieces, and I'm going to read for you. you can, it'll be up on the screen, or you can grab the handout. Um, verses 25 to 28 to start. Behold, a lawyer, um, and, and this lawyer was not like a legal lawyer. He would have been a, a religious lawyer, so familiar with the religious laws of the Old Testament. So this lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, he puts it back on the man, what's written in God's law? How, how do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, hey, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Uh, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? You know, at first it seems like the lawyer gets it. It seems like he understands, which, which he does. He has head knowledge of, of God's law. As a matter of fact, the lawyer is quoting the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament has a whole bunch of laws, but it can be, the whole Old Testament law can be summed up, and it is in the Old Testament as this. Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Even the lawyer, the lawyer and Jesus himself actually agree upon this, right? Even Jesus is quoted in the Gospels as saying, this is the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So the lawyer and Jesus agree. And, and they say, all right. And so Jesus says, you want to have eternal life? Then the law says, do this. But the lawyer is a smart man, recognizes that as a sinner... He is incapable of doing this perfectly all the time. And so as a lawyer, he's trying to find the loophole to the law. And so he's saying to Jesus, all right, how, do, how, can, I, how can I get this right? You know? he, doesn't, he doesn't yet acknowledge that Jesus is the way to have that law fulfilled. So he needs to fulfill the law for himself. And he recognizes he can't do this all the time. And so the only way out is on the definition of what a neighbor is. And so he says to Jesus, all right, well, who is my neighbor? See, because if he can lessen the, the demands of God's command, then maybe he's actually capable of achieving this law. If he can lessen the demands of God's command. So he's trying to justify himself because he wants eternal life, right? So, so he wants to say, all right, well, who is my neighbor? Because if, if Jesus, if you answer me the way that I want it to be answered, I can have eternal life. So he says, who is my neighbor, right? And I wonder what he was expecting Jesus to, to respond with. Was he, was he expecting Jesus to justify him? 
Was they expecting Jesus to say, your neighbor is uh, Sally and Joe on, your, on, on the south side of your house, and, and uh, Fred and Roberta on the north side of your house, and so long as you love them and love them, you're good. You're good. But how does Jesus respond instead? He tells a parable. And, and here's how the parable goes. I'm, I'm going to read it again for you. you. Probably A lot of you have heard this many times. Uh, a lot of you have not maybe ever heard it, though. So I'm not going to make any assumptions about that. Let me read it for you in its entirety. The, the parable goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. Now, what the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him the whole night. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. <laughs> so... Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, well, of course, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you go, do like this. Who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In this parable, there is a man. We don't know, we don't know who the man is. We don't, know his, uh, we don't know his station in life. We don't know his religion, his nationality. We don't know anything. Just a man. Who is, who is beaten by robbers, stripped naked, and is laying on the side of the road, half dead. A priest, right, uh, a, a good godly, churchly kind of person who, who works in the temple, uh, sees the man as he is journeying along, and what does he do? You all know, what does he do? He, nothing, right? He passes by. Do you pay attention to, to Jesus' words and the way Jesus tells the story? Not only does he pass by the man, but he passes by on the other side of the road. I, I wonder if the priest was on the same side of the road and was walking along and journeying and he sees this man and going, There's a crosswalk. Oh, just. Ah. If he doesn't, if he doesn't, if I don't, if I don't see him, <laughs> I mean, then what, what can I do? So he passes on along. Nothing. The Levite comes next. The, the Levites, you got to know your Old Testament a little bit. The Levites are the people, uh, the tribe of Israel who was responsible uh, for managing all the stuff in the temple. So this is another temple worker guy. All right? so priest works in the temple, a churchly guy. The Levite is a churchly guy, works in the temple. What does he do? Same thing. Thirdly, a, a Samaritan comes. Again, you have to know the Old Testament uh, for, for, the, con for the, the meaning of this to, to kick in. Uh, the Samaritans, just a brief recap. Those of you who went through the story with us, uh, this might spur on your memory. Um, remember, there used to be just one nation of Israel, and then that nation of Israel was split into two after King Solomon. And then that northern kingdom had ten tribes that made it up, and, and they fell into sin. They started intermarrying with other nationalities and religions. Um, and then they were exiled, and then they were brought back. And once they were brought back, they never came back uh, to honoring God's law and God's commands. and just kind of kept doing their own thing, intermarrying and, um, and messing up all kinds of different religious stuff. It was the southern kingdom of Jerusalem that sort of stayed with God's commands. 
So this northern region ends up being called, at Jesus' time, Samaria. All right? So the region of Samaria is what's left over from the northern kingdom. And so the Jews who live in Jerusalem um, look down upon the Samaritans as sort of like half-breeds, as, as people who were like Jews, but not really because they intermarried and messed up the religion. So the, the Jews really avoid the region of Samaria and don't like Samaritans. So... Jesus using a Samaritan in this example over and above Jewish churchly leaders is a huge statement to begin with, all right? So it's the Samaritan who comes along, and he sees this man. What does it say? It says he has compassion on him. Compassion on him. In the Greek language, the word compassion sounds like this. Splach nitzomai. Splach nitzomai. You, you, want to, you want to say that? Look at your neighbor when you say it. Splach nitzomai. Right? Splach nitzomai. It doesn't sound like a nice word, but man, it is. In Greek, um, the, the beginning of that word, splachna, splachna, means guts. Like, oh, like deep inside. It's an onomatopoeia word in Greek. Like, like it, it's, the word sounds like if you were to go inside of somebody's gut and listen to them digest food, it might sound like Seriously, all right? So, so if you're going to have compassion on someone, you have where you are struck in the gut and your guts are moved and within those deep recesses of your body that you can't control, you go, oh, the Samaritan has swachnitzamai for this unknown, half-dead man. And so what does he do? He goes to him, it says, he goes to him, he binds up his wounds and pours on oil and wine. That basically is the same as like taking some hydrogen peroxide, muosporin, and bandages in today's day and age. Alright, that oil and wine we use as cleaning agents. He puts up upon his own animal brings him to a motel, spends the night with him, probably changing the dressings on his bandages, getting him some water, some food, caring for him all night long. The next day, the Samaritan needs to continue on his travels, so he says to the innkeeper, here's some money, two denarii. One denarius was one day's wage, so two denarii was two days' wages. No, no small sum of, of money, right? So he does this for the stranger, leaves two days' worth of wages, and he says, Please take care of him as long as you can, and, and I have to journey back through here. I'll pay you anything, uh, any, anything that you have to spend over and above this. So Jesus says to that, to that lawyer, all right, who's, who's being the good neighbor? And the lawyer, I mean, the answer is obvious, right? You, you can't answer any other way. So the lawyer says, obviously, the one who showed mercy is being a good neighbor. And so Jesus just simply says, all right, go and do likewise. We don't know anything more from the story. We don't know if the lawyer was struck in the splachna and went and, you know, changed his, his life or, or what he did. Um, but, but the story ends there. So I asked, him, what is it that made the Samaritan good? We call him the good Samaritan. What is it that made him good? You know, I, I go back to that original question. Why do you extend a helping hand to others in human need? Did, did the Samaritan get anything out of this deal? Was it, was it good because, um, because the exchange rate was good on his helping and he got something nice out of the deal? Did he, did he do so so that he could feel good? Maybe he, did, maybe he did it to change the world. 
Maybe he did. Maybe he thought, if I help this man, I can repair the the ancient uh, years-old damage between the Samaritans and the Jews, and we we can repair and be one united kingdom again? You think so? Or did he just simply do it because his neighbor needed him to at that time? As a matter of fact, it doesn't sound like the Samaritan got much out of the deal, did he? No, he gave an awful lot. The Samaritan demonstrated mercy to this man in need by following through on two things that he possessed. The Samaritan possessed two things. Proximity and capacity. Proximity and capacity. What, What I mean by this is your neighbor is somebody who is near to you. Okay, as a matter of fact, the Greek word for neighbor literally means someone who is nearby or close to you. So this is why that lawyer was trying to argue his point. Okay? Because the Greek word neighbor just means somebody that's nearby. So he's trying to define it further. right? So he really wants it to just be the people living next door to him. All right? um, but, but what Jesus interprets as what is a neighbor, it's anybody that is nearby to you at any point in time. All right? So you have proximity to people. And and the Samaritan also had the capacity to care. He saw a man in need, and he had oil, and he had wine, and he had bandages, and he had money, and he had an animal. And he said, all right, I'll do it. Proximity and capacity. So I ask you today, my dear friends in Christ, are there people in your life today that you are going to encounter that have a human need, that are near to you. Maybe they live near to you, maybe they're relatives of yours that you're, that you're going to associate with today. And I would, I would presume, I would make an assumption that the answer to this is yes. Do you have the capacity to help? Do you have the ability? Now, maybe you don't have the exact ability, but maybe you know somebody who does, and you can be the agent by which uh, God works through you. So, and I would, I would presume, do you have the capacity to help those people that are within proximity of you? And I would also presume that the answer is yes, to some extent. So then the question is, will you? Will you? If you have the proximity to people and the capacity to help, will you? It goes back to this question of, why would I help my neighbor in need? And the simple answer is, because my neighbor needs it. Why help? my neighbor needs it. If you are there and you're capable, why would you not? Why would you not? All right. I, remember, I remember being taught this simple truth. I think I was sitting in a seminary classroom at some point, and a professor said something like this, right? Why would you help your neighbor in need? Solely on the basis that they need it at that time. And I remember thinking to myself, That's actually really freeing. It's really freeing for us to have that mentality. And here's why. Otherwise, we try to rationalize our good deeds and our helping hand. Because if it's not just simply for the sake of the neighbor, why would you do it? And you might say to yourself, well, I would extend a helping hand because God commands me to. Which is true. God does command you to help your neighbors in need. But if that's your mindset, if I'm just going to help my neighbor in need because God commands me to, then I'm probably doing it out of guilt or out of fear, right? 
And then, and then if I don't do it, I feel guilty before God, right? And if I do do it, I come before God and, and try to have my ego padded, right? And then all at the same time neglecting my actual neighbor in need right in front of me. You may also do it for the sake of trying to make the world a better place. I don't know. I have, I've been guilty of this before, and I'll just be honest with you. You probably have as well. Where you have the option to help somebody, and you know that if you help that person, nothing's going to change. You might, you might know that the, the family relationships they have, the dynamic that's there, you just go, what's the point? Now, on the other hand, there may be somebody who is in a desperate time of need, and you know that if you help them, they may return the favor to you, but they also might, you might spur out a chain of events where they have the capacity to help others who will help others. And, and in your mind, you might go, I really would rather help this person. So who, who is your neighbor, right? And, and why do we serve our neighbor in need? It has nothing to do really with God's command upon you. It has nothing to do with your feeling good. It has nothing to do with your desire to change the world. It has everything, though, to do with your neighbor in need at that time. And that's the only reason that you would help them. I believe that that's freeing for us then. Because then we are spurred to have eyes of faith and to simply go, who's in need around here? Right? Who is in need around here? You know, in the end, we are reminded in the, in the lesson from Ephesians today, we also read from Ephesians chapter 2, we're, we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that anything good that we can even accomplish in the end has already been prepared in advance for us, right? So anything that you can even do to help out your neighbor need, guess what? God already put that opportunity there. So in the end, you can't even boast about what it is that you've done, right? You can't create these opportunities for you. Anything good you're going to do, God puts in front of you. Why? So that you boast in Him. So that you boast in the one who is so good and whose love is so vast that He not only provides for people's needs, but He provides for the way for their needs to be met, which is through you and your desire to extend a helping hand in human need. And just think about it. This is the way that Jesus comes to us in our time of need. This is how Jesus comes to us. First proximity. Jesus comes near. Jesus comes near to us. Jesus does not ask us to make ourselves right. No, he comes near to us. He has proximity to you. Jesus is with you. And he has the capacity. Of course he does. He's God. But not only that, he is the one who suffered death and conquered the grave. He conquered death and the grave, and he rules and reigns above all heaven and earth. He absolutely has the capacity to be with you. And why does he help you in your time of human need? Because you need all the help you can get. <laughs> and so do I. And this is how Jesus comes to us. Proximity, capacity, simply because we need him. He loves us with his love. Next week, when we gather together, we're going to wrap up this uh, sermon series on our, on our mission statement. Uh, we're going to wrap it up by, by focusing on how all of this stuff in the mission statement is accomplished. There are three things. The preaching of the word of God, the sacraments, and the religious instruction. Teaching. And, and not only are we going to talk about those three things, but we're going to have all of them taking place as well. I'll, I'll be preaching the word of God. 
We'll have the sacraments administered. Uh, at this service, not only will we have the Lord's Supper, but I'll also be baptizing my newest daughter, Phoebe. Um, and, and also, on top of that, um, those who have been instructed in the faith uh, in a four-week new members class that is happening in June uh, will stand before you and, and, and show their desire and their commitment to join this congregation. We've got a large uh, class of, of new members as well, and I, and I pray that you'll be here to welcome them in. It'll be a great time of celebration. That's what we're going to do next week. But in the meantime, this, this week, this day, as you go, please know that it's my prayer for you, and, and I ask for your prayers for me as well, that we would be people with eyes of faith, eyes like that Samaritan, to see our neighbors in need, not to cross the street and walk around, but to go to them, to have proximity because you have the capacity, because you know Jesus. And so we go with the eyes of Jesus to bring his life-saving news to this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen.